something outside. What is that? Radio, Shane Corson here, and Monster X Radio is brought to you by Sasquatch Coffee. Have you tried it yet? And we're getting closer to the holidays here, so I highly recommend if you've not tried any Sasquatch Coffee, uh, it's a great gift. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic. I, you know, when I'm out in the woods, I'm in the woods a lot. I'm always taking along with me some sort of Sasquatch Coffee. My personal favorite. I have multiple favorites. I like. Uh, Skookum Blend and uh, Ape Canyon. Personally, Ape Canyon is probably my favorite. But uh, definitely try a try a try a try a, uh, a small batch of it. You know, you can pick it up on you know SquatchCoffee.com. Uh, highly recommend it. But having said that, uh, I got a good show for you guys this evening, and I thank you all for tuning in. I got my uh, good friend Larry Turner uh, with me. He is a uh, Sasquatch uh, investigator, enthusiast, uh, researcher. And he's part of the Tillamook Forest Group, and he kind of leads up the Tillamook Forest Group. And he's also part of the Olympic Project, and he specializes, his specialty um, within these groups. You know, he's a tracker, he's a hunter, but especially really is the audio when it comes to recording audio, the placement of audio. And the guy is full of ideas. He's always coming up with new ideas on how to obtain uh, possible pieces of evidence, and he's really keyed in on the audio and he's collaborated with um, our, our good friend and, and uh, fellow researcher, David Ellis of the Olympic Project, who is, you know, a master uh, of, of, you know, the audio realm, the audio recording of, of nature in general, but also, you know, possible Sasquatch recordings. So anyways, without further ado, Larry Turner, how you doing, my man? Not good. How about you? Long time no hair. <laughs> I know. I, I I moved up here to Washington, and I don't get down to Oregon as much as I used to. I mean, pardon me. Before I, I uh, you know, we were uh, we were constantly out researching, uh, camping and whatnot in in the Tillamook Forest, doing a lot of research in that area. And you've really taken up as you did before. Before I came along, you were doing it, and you're doing it now, uh, even more so than I can get down into the Tillamook Forest. I got plans to get down there uh, shortly. It's a great time of year to be down in those areas because we're kind of like the only people that go out in this sort of weather. I mean, I'm looking outside, and it's it's downpouring. It's absolutely bucketing up here in Washington um, on the Kitsap Peninsula. And I know it's probably the same down there in Oregon, down in the, the Portland area, right? Yeah, it it would be where we go. As a matter of fact, um, I'm in a lull right now. I'm actually sitting outside, kind of nice. Uh, this is the type of year, uh, time of year that I really love. 
And for the last, well, ever since you went north, it's been just me doing the research uh, mostly. Uh, our fellow researcher, Jeff Southern's come out a couple of times, but mostly it's just me and Sergeant Cody. Had some interesting things going on. Um, uh, it's kind of weird being out there alone again. But yeah, I, 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 I know. Uh, one for the team. <laughs> yeah, I know you're you're kind of used to that because I mean, before uh, I joined up with you and, and some of the other members of the Tillman Force Group, you were doing a lot of uh, solo camping in this in these areas, uh, both camping and I know you've been hunting that area for years, and and of course, Larry. You've had your own encounters out in this area, but but for the audience that uh, are tuning in for the first time, or for those that are not familiar with Larry Turner, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, my friend? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, let's back up just a little bit. You were talking about audio. I yeah. like everyone to start thinking about audio, is since I am actually trying to catch a live animal, whether it's deer, elk, but specifically into the uh, Sasquatch sounds, it's actually bioacoustics. Bioacoustics is a sound made by a living animal. That's what bioacoustics is. Just thought we'd clarify that a little bit because there are different uh, ways of looking at this stuff, especially through uh, spectrum analyzers, sonic visualizer and stuff, where you can see man-made signals um, very clearly and stuff that's made, uh, sounds that are made with, uh, the, with bioacoustic or you know, with an animal, elephants, whatever, they all all have different resonant frequencies and what mankind can can do. I decided to throw that out there. Oh, yeah, um, no, moving absolutely. forward. Yeah. Moving forward, I am a, a metrologist by trade. Metrologist is the science of measurement. My expertise is in audio engineering. And so I'm also certified by NASA and uh, audio generation and also analysis. So this is kind of my wheelhouse, so to speak. Um, I was on, like, uh, some of the projects with NASA. was also the Casino satellite and a few other satellites that I can't talk about. But uh, the aspect of uh, sending uh, signals back here to Earth and communication um, to different parts of the uh, cosmos, if you will. Um, moving further, I got um, involved in... Uh, research uh, because of my grown, grown daughters were out camping one time in 2012 and they had an encounter two nights in a row which then they came home and told me I raised these girls to you know to know every animal in the woods they went with me to oh, Glacier National Park we spent three weeks up there in the back country Yellowstone all over the place camping and fishing the whole time they know every single animal including barred owls and they came back and told me this weird sound, and this is about the time finding Bigfoot was coming on. I'm kind of going, oh, that's kind of weird. So I told my buddy Mark, and him and I went up that following weekend, and lo and behold, we had our own encounter and got it on, on um, recorded it, which then uh, reported that to the BFRO and inner uh, Cindy and uh, Jared Cadell, later on uh, Gunner, and then uh, you came along, and then we formed the Tillamook Forest Group from there, in a nutshell. And then I've been researching this area uh, ever since 2012. I pretty much did that for almost two years, uh, just Mark and I. And then uh, we've got a good team now. And now uh, people have moved away, and I'm 
pretty much back to being just the lone stranger. But you're coming down, so it'll all be good. <laughs> yeah, but you're doing some fantastic stuff. I mean, you're continuing on doing the auto recording. Uh, that area down there um, is is uh, it's phenomenal. The Tillamook Forest is phenomenal. I, I didn't comprehend how phenomenal it was until I had spent you know quite a few weeks and then years in that particular forest, uh, and then researching it both uh, physically and online, and then looking at the reports and interviewing people, and I realized, you know what, there's something r really going on here. This is a, a, a an area with history that dates back to uh, the Native Americans uh, across the coast, and the Tillamook Forest is included in that, And but you're really doing a, a great job down there, Larry. I mean, I really appreciate the uh, the time spent not just recording, not just the time in the field, but actually analyzing the audio obtained not just by yourself but other team members. I know that recently uh, that's kind of weaned a little bit as far as as far as getting audio from other individuals because uh, of just life in general, uh, people moving and, and whatnot. But you're still plugging away and doing your thing, and uh, I mean, you spend you're still spending a extraordinary amount of time out there. Uh, I know that area, one of the funny things is, uh, you know, the last time I was out there, I think was January. I think I've been out there once since, but I was down there and it was the area that we usually camp in and investigate was absolutely devastated by the, the past winter or that current winter with the down tree fall, the amount of rain we got. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a mess. Oh, yeah, that's the day we drove up in three feet of snow up there thinking that we were going to be able to drive in. On the way in, it looked like a bomb went off. I mean, we were going around trees. The t all the tops of the trees were all topped off. It looked like a war zone hit that place. And then yeah, we couldn't really even get that far, and we had to walk, what, a, almost a mile down into to the area that we researched? Yeah, yeah, and it was it was it was it was kind of brutal. Uh, with all the down trees and the limbs and the snow, it was. Uh, I was like, wow. I mean, the fortunate thing was, you know, you know, there's not going to be many people in some of these areas because of that, and so it was it was it's kind of a treat in a way. But the other aspect is, you're like, wow, where do I start? Uh, it was it was a mess. It was just a mess. But uh, here we go again. Here we go again. We're looking at another El Nino. And it is it, it, the the wind's picking up, the rain's picking up, and I imagine it's going to be another mess down there. I know it's a mess up here. I can only imagine yeah. what it's going to look like down there. Yeah, well, it, just remember it's on the coast range, so it's squeezing out a lot more uh, water than it is here, here in the valley area. Um, also, uh, we got basically what the meteorologists are saying is that we've got a river of. Uh, water headed our way and in the form of clouds mm -hmm. and they're expecting yeah. what two inches a day or some crazy number like that yeah it's it's a crazy number i remember back in january yeah. and december you know i was um i was really interested because of there well even prior to that there were reports coming from an area um along the coast there where people were reporting getting screams and this was on one side of a river down there on the coast. They were getting screamed at. There was, they were hearing loud knocks, and they were kind of freaking out. And I went down to investigate, and uh, I, I kind of, in my head, 
if it was Sasquatch that they were dealing with, because they, they seem pretty adamant. These are people that lived in this area for, you know, some of them their whole lives uh, and others, you know, for many years. And they were like, we've never heard noises like this, never experienced uh, these going ons. And in my head, I was thinking, well, the river is ridiculously high. The terrain is trashed. If it's Sasquatch you're dealing with, you know, I'm thinking, why, why would they begin this activity? And, and it occurred to me, maybe it's because it, that river, you know, and a river that they could probably cross easily during certain times of year, they could no longer get across, and they were kind of stuck. I mean, uh, stuck as, as much as anything could be. What are your thoughts on that? I thought about that, too. Um, that was uh, The river was at flood stage four times, um, even exceeded flood stage. Uh, past uh, one time, past a 500-year flood level, um, yeah, they were stuck. There was no way for the traditional routes, which we suspect that they use, there, there was nowhere for them to go. Uh, secondly, um, I think they were kind of in. They're in their, my guess, I guess, for lack of a better term, yeah. is that they're coming back from uh, from a migration or whatever. You know, moving from here to there, and their route was cut off. And their food supply is over in our area where we we do all of our research. Yeah, I mean that's what we surmise for sure. I mean that's what I surmise is that the, the area we work mm-hmm. in, because of the extraordinarily high amount of activity uh, that I, I uh, that I hypothesized is Sasquatch, <laughs> is that they couldn't get across that river and they were ticked. And it wasn't just like a a one day event for some of these folks. It was weeks. And uh, yeah, I mean that's exactly. why it really piqued my interest. Well, last last winter was. You know, I'm a native Oregonian, and it's one of the wettest uh, winters uh, probably in 20 years, I remember. Right, right. And, and, and one of the reasons we actually – one of the reasons we actually picked this area that we research in, that you've really taken the helm on, on researching in and, and researching for years, uh, is because of the high amount of activity, uh, not just with recordings, but things heard and seen in person. Um, do you think – do you think, Larry, that um, – have you seen a shift uh, in, in act, uh, possible Sasquatch activity in these areas, uh, not just because of the, the weather, but just in general? I mean, is there any shift, or do you think it's just uh, the norm? Um, that's really hard to say. Uh, yeah, I figure. Point, at this point, you know, um, the forest recovered. Um, things were back to being green and stuff. The food supply, matter of fact, a, a extraordinary growth out there this year. Um, uh, ferns were like uh, the sword, sword-tailed ferns. Well, they were over six feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, there's places you wouldn't even be able to find that we would normally find, like at all the years, because of the, the vegetation just exploded out there. Insane. Um, I've seen. Uh, uh, more uh, bear sign than I ever have out there, um, besides our normal boo-boo bear that hangs around our, our area that we go, but uh, at least three times more bear sign than I have been before, uh, far more elk sign. There's, so the animals have moved in there for a reason, you know, so there's, there's more food um, uh, available. Um, of course, I see deer all the time, so there's a nice little protein pack. You know, <laughs> um, lots and lots of uh, ground flora that's edible that I've found that I could even eat. Um, 
And this year was, uh, well, we got these storms coming in. Now, they've, it's already gone through the first, uh, there's, there's already been uh, two chanterelle seasons, and there's another one coming up. Extraordinary huckleberry harvest this year as well. Um, lots of huckleberries, lots of salmonberries, uh, lots of black caps, um, lots of just tons of it. I mean, everywhere, more so than years past. Yeah, I mean, there's, I, I, I mean, I, I haven't been down in that area for predominantly most of this year, but I've always noticed the amount of food available, whether it's ungulates like deer and elk and whatnot, to, to just the foliage. It's, it's ridiculous how much. Uh, food is in this area. I mean, I could survive if needed. You know, and I'm not Absolutely. built. I'm not built for that area. Um, I can only imagine what a Sasquatch. You know, just hypothesizing what they would eat, but they would have plenty of food. I would imagine in my head, plenty of cover and plenty well, of places to travel to. Though, if the river's high and they're used to going to a certain area to feed or to forage or uh, whatnot, um, I could see I could see an issue there. And I'm just wondering if. With uh, the amount of rain we're getting, uh, which is it's phenomenal amount of rain we're getting again, uh, after a long spell of no real rain, if we might get the same sort of circumstances, um, I know you're going to be out there, and I plan on being out in this area regardless because it's just a great area, and it's just good to be out in the woods. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, yeah I think that uh, we'll see. Um, I, you know what? Three weeks ago, I had a pretty good night. You know, things were going on. Uh, we had the northbound coyote pack go by, and then later on, the southbound coyote pack. Uh, Barred owls were hanging out with me all night long, and then all hell broke loose. I think you got a recording of that, too. Indeed, I do. In fact, uh, I'll play it now, and you got to give uh, – uh, I'll play it, and I'll let you give some context to it. Uh, you know, uh, the scenario, um, the direction and whatnot, and then we'll, I'll play it again. So here, I'll play it now. Uh, reside 
And so that's it is what it is. I mean, uh, there, yeah. there was no do- no dog. Well, my dog was with me, but he's pretty quiet. Shane can tell you all about that. He does not bark. He's pretty much on guard and guarding, very quiet. And uh, it was just him and I. So, um, and there was nobody around that night. Period. It was just one of those dead quiet nights. And uh, I'm still going through uh, audio. I, that night, I recorded what 12 gig of audio from all my recorders, and I'm still going through all that. Yeah, but that particular piece of audio, I know you you've sent it to David Ellison, and, and he's looked at it, not just listened to, it, but looked at it, and and it piqued his interest, and it piqued your interest. Uh, I'll play it again, and uh, yeah, hold on one second, play it again. audio not just listened to but looked at i mean you don't you didn't see any it didn't look to be of a, a known entity animal you know because I, I what i heard at the end there maybe have been a bark um um so i'm just asking you know uh do you think it uh, i mean it, it didn't fit you know people are going to come at you know me later on and go well it was a barn owl was elk was this or that well i mean your opinion was it was something possibly unknown Yes, uh, as a matter of fact, um yeah. we we can't I can't say it was was Sasquatch. I didn't see him make it. That's plain and simple. But what I can do is take that sound and knock it against uh Macaulay Library of, of uh sounds, you know, and there's nothing like it, period. Um mm-hmm. you can reference something similar like this to other recordings across the United States. You know. Um yeah. that are of unknown species. Um, and all I can do, and same with David, I, I run this by David. Um, as soon as I find something I see, and it's in the sweet spot that David and I call the sweet spot. It's a little area down uh, around 750 uh, hertz, you know, and it's the resonance frequency is a little bit different than anything else. It's a little sweet spot that we we like, and I send it over to him. He finds it, and it's like then it's, you know, good to go. I mean, this is stuff that we've we've seen before. Um, typically, I can go through a 28-minute file in five minutes because I'm not, I'm looking at stuff, but I'm looking at a different frequency range where, than where everybody else is, and that's where you, well, that's where I find it. Yeah. No, I I, I find well, I find the the audio very I I find the audio interesting for sure. It that's one of the cool things about. Uh, the area that we've been working in is not just the reports of unusual audio, but the, what we've captured on audio ourselves and what we've heard in person. Uh, it's an area where you just seem to get a lot of really interesting tidbits, a lot of interesting audio uh, that uh, that doesn't fit the parameters of known animals. Exactly. Known things. Exactly. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, I wish Gunnar was here. He could talk about what we called the Oh, what was that? We called the crescendo night or whatever. It was two hours yeah. of these things whooping away, seemingly like they were chasing something into a pinch point. And at the two-hour crescendo, if you will, they were all just kind of – I'm surmising there might have been four, 
And they were just going nuts with all these whooping and stuff like this. I had the golden microphone go on, and everyone's all happy. You know, well, this could be really bad. First time I ever <laughs> used my Tascam. Yeah, you know where this is going. So, anyway, I then all the end, this big thing is going on. In the middle of this thing, I was telling Gunnar, I said, man, it would be really great to hear some samurai chatter. All of a sudden, right in the middle of that, and everything was over. And Gunner's looking and goes, did I just hear what I just heard? <laughs> and so the following morning, I go back and my recorder wasn't even on. <laughs> yeah. So I got the fired trials. that night. Yeah, the trials yes. of Sasquatch research. It, 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 it uh, yes. The human element. <laughs> we're, we're, all, we're all imperfect. We try our best, and, and yet sometimes uh, on those uh, unique and special moments, we fail. And I, I've done it myself. <laughs> I'm, I'm very guilty. Yeah. And then we uh, but, had a really good recording that invoked the Gunner Initiative. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. Yeah, an epic recording, actually. And unfortunately, tell, tell the folks about deleted. that one. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I've talked about it on the show before, but I uh, we were oh, camping yeah. on the yeah we were camping out in the uh, in our area, and um, uh, I awoke to a knock. You know what I thought was a knock, like a really loud knock. I went. Did I really just hear that? Is that really happening? You know, it was early morning hours, and I waited there 20 minutes, and then I heard another knock, but this time it was directly above the camp, our campsite. You know, the the first knock I heard was several hundred yards away, what I perceived to be a knock, because I was in that kind of half-sleep stage. So I was like, ah, did I really hear that? That sure sounded like a knock, but maybe, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't, and something else woke me out of my slumber. And then I hear this, you know, having been awake for 20 minutes, I hear this knock clear and a really loud knock right above our camp. I mean, just bam. And so I started to, you know, kind of whisper over to you guys, to you and Gunner. Nobody heard me. Nobody, I don't believe you guys were awake. Well, you guys weren't. And, uh, <laughs> which, you know, we were up late, so I get that. But I, 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 you know, I said, hey, 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 guys, guys. And, I waited another 10, 15 minutes, and, and I hear this metallic sound in our camp. It sounds like something metallic was hit or dropped, and we had some pans and pots out. So I thought, you know, well, maybe something's in our camp. And um, I thought about getting out and uh, went on. I didn't. It was still early morning. It was still dark, and I just decided just to listen. I knew audio was in camp. We had audio out there. Uh, and then, of course, the next uh, morning, I uh, after everybody was awake, I described what I had heard. We listened to the audio, and we heard the knock, and then we hear some uh, the knock above camp, and then we hear something moving in the bushes. And or sorry, excuse me, let me repeat that. So we we heard the the knock above the camp, and then you hear the metallic sound. And what it was, what it the, at least what I believe it was, was something throwing something in the camp because you hear this, to, you hear something hit the ground and then tink. And we eventually surmised, after done a lot of retesting and whatnot, that it was something hitting either your tailpipe on your truck, Larry, or the right. your wheel. Uh, but I'm pretty sure it was your tailpipe. It bounced. And then what you yeah, hear is the, the bushes move. You hear the bushes move, and you hear this, oh, oh, and it was so clear. Uh, like something was kind of shocked that it, if it had thrown it in the camp, they were shocked it hit the tailpipe. And unfortunately... Gunner accidentally erased that, and that's when we initiated well, the Gunner protocol. Part. What's that? One part was is that the ruffling of the bag at the table and the grunting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the grunting was the the. Uh, uh, I mean, it was 
Yeah, it was yeah. a profound. It was profound. I mean, it was it, I don't know it what makes decided. that noise other than a primate. Right. Yeah, and and that was yeah. so interesting to me. I was floored. I'm like, wow. I heard the knocks. You get this metallic sound. You hear this this you know like this thing come into camp like it throws something and it hits a. And it is. I mean, it was it was so interesting and compelling to me. I was absolutely floored. Um, and of course, we all you know, were. Yeah, yeah, we all were, uh, and we're like, wow. And Gunnar unfortunately erased it, um, mistake he made on his recorder. And uh, so, anyways, we 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 did initiate the Gunner protocol, which was the fact that uh, you download all your audio right away on a laptop when we're at camp. And so. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, but anyways, we've gotten many um, similar recordings uh, in that area. Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk about because of the season is um, the we're here. Here we are. This has been a weird year. We have the um, pink salmon run that hasn't gone on. It's, it's currently going on. It's kind of weaning, uh, but pink salmon run here in the Pacific Northwest. It's uh, it happens like every seven eight years roughly, and then you know we got our usual salmon run. You got the chum running or just kind of kind of coming to an end. But right now we're kind of in the midst of the chanterelle season, and chanterelles are mushrooms, you know, and, and they're something that's very coveted. They're one of the most edible uh, mushrooms out there. And, uh, I, you know, one of the things that you taught me, Larry, uh, that I, I just never really considered and I never really thought about was the fact that animals eat mushrooms. You know, I remember we were walking around, the, you know, hiking around the Tillamook Forest, and I came across some mushrooms and something had been eating on them. And I never even thought about mushrooms, uh, not chanterelles per se. I know p- people can eat chanterelles. I'm talking about the, the nasty mushrooms of different varieties. And I saw that something had been nibbling on them. I mean, you had mentioned to me that animals do, in fact, eat mushrooms. And I had to do my research on that. Can uh, you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, right now, as it stands, we've got not only chanterelle mushrooms out there going, you've got your regular poisonous mushrooms of all varieties, You've got lobster mushrooms. Those are stuff, stuff, stuff that we can eat. Um, I haven't found one of those yet, but I found the chanterelles. I found um, uh, angel wing mushrooms, which are really delicious. I found, uh, what's the other one? Oh, uh, cauliflower mushrooms, which kind of looks like a big old cauliflower laying on the ground, except they, grow, they can get be 10, 20 pounds. Probably, they taste really good. Um Mushrooms are an important food source for for not only us but also the animals. So, I mean, uh, they can eat eat stuff that we can't. Deer, for instance, browse, and what I mean by that is is they don't just eat grass. They they eat you know leaves and and they have to eat a big variety of food in order to survive. That's that's their um, way in nature. Elk, on the other hand, they're a grass feeder. They will eat leaves once in a while, but they just think of them as a wild cow, you know. Um, they'll eat mushrooms as well. I've, I've observed this in the wild myself many times of um, animals coming up and eating uh, mushrooms. So it's a valuable food source for this time of year going into the pinch period. The pinch period is that time where there's hardly any food available, period. Um, then that's when they pretty much just live off their fat. Um, and eat what they can, They'd mainly the deer. Of course, bear are, are hibernating, 
well, the Pacific Northwest black bear don't really hibernate. They kind of catnap and then come out and go grab something to eat, find a deer or something like that, and then go back and nap a little bit. Uh, some of the things that still grow all the way up until probably the first freeze of some of the low uh, uh, ground cover, um, one looks like a four-leaf clover we call lemongrass, and you could actually we could get a handful of that and just eat it. It tastes like lemon. And that's just uh, prolific in the area that where we uh, go. Um, but uh, it doesn't take long. I mean, I take Shane. We what do we take? Fifteen minutes. Came back with twenty pounds of mushrooms. You know, it doesn't take long at all. Oh no, no. This so, time of year, this time of year, there's no. the, the chanterelles are are everywhere. If you know where to look for them, <laughs> and you, you clip them just right so that they can grow back uh, year after year. But uh, right. can you describe the chanterelle a little bit? Because the chanterelles, I mean, for those, I mean, it's actually a, a hobby for a lot of people this time of year. Right, right. Well, the chanterelle mushroom is kind of a copper, off-copper off, off cop, copper color, uh, for one thing. It's very visible on the ground, the uh, the forest floor, typically growing in, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the the pine forest is where they like to grow and coming out of the uh, the uh pine mulch, if you will. Um, they're about, oh, what, two and a half, three inches around. They're kind of in a, a shape of a, of a uh, not a mushroom, but a, uh, sorry about that, someone's alarm's going off. I'm sitting outside. Yeah. They're shaped like uh, an umbrella to me, the thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're kind of a orange or yellow or copper. Have, they're very meaty. Yeah. They're kind of funnel-shaped, and they have these, these ridges yeah. that run down through the stipe or the stem. And it's funny right. because the way you can tell, yeah, yeah, the way yeah, you I can tell that they, is that when you, when you pull up the stem, it looks like chicken meat, and, and that's mm-hmm. how you know that you got that. Plus, they got a real um, unique scent to them, almost a nutty scent. They also have yeah. kind of a nutty flavor, which is really nice. Yeah, I often wonder, Larry. I often wonder because I, I, this is something I'm going to be looking into going forward. Uh, that occurred to me before the show was I'm always looking for food sources, you know, what could sustain an animal like a Sasquatch or anything in an area um, and why why they would be eating something at a certain time of year. I'm, I want to look at the chanterelles specifically and see if that's possibly a food source for a Sasquatch. You know, I, knew, I know that uh, having a little bit of research that the lowland gorilla will uh, eat some sort of fungus um, during a certain times of year. I'm wondering if Sasquatch may partake in the chanterelles when they're available and if not uh, here's like you just mentioned the deer and the mice and everything else do you know it's kind of like a pyramid effect you know what i'm saying right exactly i see no reason um for instance if you think about it if you had to survive and you were stuck out there alone and you found chanterelles i have no problem eating them raw i know what they are i know what they taste like i don't need fire uh, I could, uh, and moving that forward in my mind's eye, you know, and a hypothesis, if we can eat those, well, so could the Sasquatch. Right. I mean, it's a food source sitting right there. And yeah, they don't have to go very far. They just roam around looking at the ground, you know. Right. They're um, plentiful um, in certain areas. I mean, you, you can't just, I mean, you guess you could in some areas just walk around and find them. But I remember being up at the Olympics and, uh, on one of our off days, not researching, we are just kind of hanging out. We all decided to go out, and it was absolutely downpouring, and we decided to go out and look for chanterelles. And we found, I mean, we filled two six-foot, like, Coleman tables full of them and, and cooked up a f- 
fantastic meal of uh, the chanterelles. Yeah, the lobster mushrooms we found too. Oh yeah, the lobster mushrooms were. I mean, I'd never seen mushrooms like that. To be honest with you, I was I was floored at the size of yeah, them and the you, color. There's also another mushroom which I neglected to mention, and that's the chicken of the chicken of the forest. It kind of grows out of logs. Um, highly coveted, easy to find, um, and uh, it kind of looks like a, a lobster mushroom in a way, but it doesn't. It's I can't describe it, but. Uh, mm-hmm. It's another one that's real common out here um, that, uh, you know, you get one of those things, you just, it's like a major score. I mean, they are probably the best eating mushroom, the best. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're talking, I mean, this is a, a food source uh, for this time of year that uh, badgers, deer, mice, uh, pigs, rabbits, squirrels, and you name it, eat uh, because it's readily available and and like you said, getting ready for the real wind, you know, the heavy winter time where you need to pack up the weight and the pounds and the food storage, it's a perfect uh, opportunity. And I just I just wonder, you know, I just wonder if Sasquatch may partake in this, and if not, maybe they hunt those that are after or hunting the mushrooms, you know. And it'd be interesting to look at the reports um, this time of year in areas where chanterelles and, and other, you know, uh, like you mentioned, other mushrooms grow. I'm, I'm interested in that. That's something I'm going to look at deeper, and maybe we'll do a, a follow-up show on that because I think there's maybe something to it. Um, I know my buddy uh, with Squatch Metrics, uh, and you can find him on Facebook, Squatch Metrics, uh, he, he'll probably be listening to the show and go, huh, I didn't think about that, and I'll look into that as well because he's been looking into the salmon runs and, and headwaters, and this year he pointed out to me that it was a pink salmon run this year, and there was a lot of uh, reports around that and and whatnot. Yeah, well, it, it stands to reason. Um, you know, uh, got a deer or uh, you know any unglet that's just focusing, you know, walking along, nibbling on mushrooms. You know, and you got an apex predator hanging out doesn't take too long to do the math. You know, would I pick a mushroom over a protein source? I'd go for the protein all day long and twice on (laughs) Sunday. Yeah. Well, this is kind of a segue, uh, Larry, into, you you know, uh, the mushroom thing. That's why I brought it up. But it's kind of segue into you recently um, uh, were invited to an event to speak, and the event was the 2017 Mount Hood Salmon, Mushroom, and Bigfoot Festival. And uh, right. I know when people think mushrooms, are like, oh, what's this all about? You know, oh, everybody's eating mushrooms or seeing Sasquatch. No, it's actually I, – I've attended this event. It's, it's, it's a killer event. It's a smaller venue in Skamania County uh, in Washington, which Skamania County has some of the most profound Bigfoot reports in, in number-wise anywhere in the country. And uh, do you mind talking a little bit about the event and your experience there and what you talked about? Well, um, this one here, uh, this event was actually up on Mount Hoodshank. You, you got me. I, I, I apologize. I thought it was in Skimania. Sorry. <laughs> no, this is up on Mount Hood. Um, but, yeah, I um, got a phone call about a month before the event, and uh, the uh, promoter wanted to uh, – he got my name, and he's interviewed me before and wanted to do uh, an interview of me. And also for me to do a presentation. So the first time I went up and did an interview, spoke about my experiences, uh, 
which we'll get into a little bit later. And then, um, well, heck, I'll just tell you one. Uh, the one about last March, Shane. I was, uh, I told him about this. This was on my, my wrap up on my interview. But last last March, um, I went up in our research area, but uh, this was in the morning and I wasn't researching. I went up to do, I do some writing once in a while. So I built a fire, was doing some writing. It was probably about quarter till uh, noon, and I decided, like, well, I'm really hungry. I'm going to put out the fire and head home. So I hopped in my truck and drove off, and uh, Shane could attest to this. When I drive on logging roads, I'm not driving slow. Uh, pretty much going about 40 miles an hour. And uh, got around, got around away from the, where I, the place where I was and about, uh, oh, I don't know, about six miles down the road, I like this one little spot where I look like looking at this beaver dam complex. And as I was rising the hill, I'm seeing this guy crossing the road. I was going, but he was all black. And I'm going, I've never seen a guy over there before. Why, why is he wearing all black? I look up on my my thermometer and it's 71 degrees outside. And I'm kind of going, this is weird. Oh, why is he wearing a ski mask? Steps to walk across the road. And I'm going, that's weird. And just as I pat, just, he, I almost hit it. Uh, it was a big foot. It was a big foot. And its hips were above the hood of my Ram 4x4. And as I, after, after he just kind of cleared, it was like perfect timing. He turned around and looked me straight in the eyes. My, I, as far away as I was, was my sight, my passenger window. Is that, That's how far away he was from me. I got a real good look at him. Um, at that time, I was under uh I had a real bad cap injury, and I had deep vein thrombosis watch, so I, I was just kind of hobbling around. And um, I flipped, the, I stepped on the brakes and slid around for probably 100 feet before I flipped my truck around to go back over where, where I saw this thing go in, left the truck running, left my gun in my truck, literally ran down, ran down to where I saw it go in, found a path, ran you know, as fast as I could all the way down for like five minutes before I realized – I'm all alone. Mm-hmm. My truck's sitting out there running. My gun's in my truck. This is not good. <laughs> but I sucked it up and did a zigzag pattern uh, search for about an hour, and I couldn't really find anything. So then I ran up the hill, uh, got in my truck, ran up the hill, and contacted you guys and told you guys about it. Which then we did a further investigation. So I spoke yeah. about that there. Yeah. Following up about uh, uh, four. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say. Uh, this actually is why you got a dash cam. <laughs> you bought a dash cam shortly after. <laughs> yeah, that dash cam runs 24 hours. Well, as soon as I leave the house, it's got 11 hours of uh, taping on it. So that runs continuously, and it's got night vision. So it's not. It, it's a two-way dash cam, so I can go forward and aft if I want. Uh, it's pretty nice. So... Now that I got one, I'm pretty much assured I'll never be that close to one again. <laughs> and but that's what the I think that's the fifth time I've seen seen them. Um, yeah. So anyway, I went into you know the first time my first encounter uh, back in 1981 when I had one uh, escort me out of the woods when I was hunting alone, elk hunting uh, uh, for two miles. That was kind of a harrowing experience in itself. Being I was just a young pup. 21 years old, had no idea what I was looking at. You know, why is this thing? It's not no bear. You know, so that was a scary experience for myself. 
I've yeah, I've not been back there since um, because they blocked off the roads and stuff, and it's kind of like I'd like to sneak in there sometime, but it's private property. So um, yeah, so and then of course I spoke about the time I was camping alone uh, with my daughter's dog and had that one walking around my tent, and then reached in, you know, my dog had enough and went straight into the bottom of my sleeping bag and uh, reached in from the back of the tent and grabbed the back of my head. That sucked, you know. Got that on tape too. Yeah, uh, you remember yeah. that one? Yeah. Yeah. So I've had some personal experiences. So we talked about the personal experiences, and then he asked me what you know, what my thoughts were and stuff, and how long I'd been out there. So that was about an hour interview, and then about three hours later, I did my own presentation. Well, I did my this presentation a little bit different than probably you're accustomed to. I did bring audio, except what I did is I came I came prepared with the most five common animal uh, sounds in the forest that you could possibly hear at night, that being the barred owl, the coyote, the, the fox, bobcat, and black bear. Played the different sounds that each one of these made. Now, imagine if you would that I'm, I pretty much went up and did approach it this way. Has anybody been in a grand jury before? Hands went up. Okay, you guys are my grand jury. I'm the prosecutor. I just want to push this case forward. It's up, you know, forward to the next level. So think about it that way. So I said, right here is an unknown species of animal that I'm going to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that this should go to court. And that's how I laid out my thing. So I played all those five animal sounds, and I had the audience participation. And they were all going, okay, well, that's this. I said, well, no, it's actually a fox. Wow, I never heard a fox do that before. Well, now you have. And we went through all the animals together. I said, now I'm going to play you suspected Bigfoot sounds. And I played each one of them, and we went over them one by one by one by one. Starting out with that two-minute call that uh, Cindy and I and Jared and Mark recorded. Um, to the first call what Mark and I recorded, all the way to the most recent stuff, including the one that you, we just heard tonight. Laid that all out. And so after all that was laid out, I said, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have time now to deliberate whether we should push this, this case forward to court or not. Mm-hmm. I'll give you five minutes. Deliberate. Uh, deliberating, and I said, "Okay, who's the foreman?" You know, okay, so what do we got? And it was it was voted that it should go on. And most of these people were skeptics, mm-hmm. which I'm pretty impressed with. Um, and then I said, "Now here's something that's interesting." I said, "All these uh, suspected uh, Sasquatch sounds, I can't really say it's Sasquatch uh, because I didn't see it." And I, sp- I explained real science. You know, you got to really be observe. You know, do observe. The subject making the sound, this type of thing. But I said, I said we have all sorts of anecdotal evidence going on here. We've got hair, we've got castings of, of uh, you know, foot impressions, knuckle impressions, the scooping cast. You know, it just goes on and on. You know, um, you know, and especially with audio. Audio is, me- is a measurable thing. It's my wheelhouse. You know, you can actually measure it and take a look at it. Uh, with resonance frequencies, which are like fingerprints. Everybody has, uh, who whoever speaks, makes a sound, has their own resonance frequency, and it's unique to them. It's a fingerprint. Um, and so I went into the science of that for a while. 
And then I said, uh, then I was talking to them about, um, I come to this as, as unbiased because I have to report my findings as unbiased, without bias. And I said, Does science, is science biased or unbiased? Well, unbiased. I said, is science biased towards Sasquatch? Everybody goes biased. I said, why do you suppose that is? They're not supposed to be. That's why I left it. Mm-hmm. Sounds, uh, sounds. I, I wish I could have been there. The uh, event I attended was in Skimania. I don't know if they moved it across the river to Mount Hood or not. And maybe we're talking about two separate events, but it was named the same. Uh, maybe they moved it across the river. I'm not sure. But anyways, uh, I was glad that you got to partake in that and 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 share your encounters because uh, your encounter. Your, your initial encounter is profound, and then your subsequent encounters are profound. And I know, you know, people will come at you like, well, you call yourself a researcher. Why were you, weren't you prepared? And it's, it, I know the, uh, I could tell you the answer to that um, for some of these encounters is because you're just not prepared. You can be as prepared as you want to be, but, you know, after, you know, like myself, I spend countless times in the woods, and sometimes you're just not prepared, and you're just not expecting it, and that's usually when it happens, you know. It's, I mean, that's why you've gone out and bought a dash cam. Um, uh, you bought the audio you bought and whatnot because your initial encounter 30 years ago, I mean, you weren't out bigfooting. You were, you know, I believe on a hunting trip. So um, that's easily explainable. Um, and then, you know, it, I'm, but like I said, I'm really stoked you got to speak at this this. Uh, function because it's it's a smaller venue but it, you know you and, and it is full of uh you got you got some enthusiasts some bigfoot people there but it, it's people that like to go out and collect mushrooms this time of year it's people that are there just for the festival that like to talk about the salmon runs and whatnot did you larry did you take anything away from that event were there any stories shared did you make any connections yes i did as a matter of fact i made connections with about five people one in particular, her name was uh, Mary Jane, and uh, she came up to me and um, almost in tears. And she said, thank you. Thank you so much. And she goes, this confirmed a whole bunch of stuff. I think that was her name, was Mary Jane. There was two, there was two people that were quite moved. Um, but uh, the thing was is that she, uh, they both of them uh, related experiences. One was down in California uh, that had experience, uh, a very nice lady. Another one lives over in the Tiger area, and she's had experiences. As a matter of fact, she called me up last week and um, she continues to have experiences up in the Clackamas area. So she wants me to go with her, which would be really cool. I'd like to see. Uh, you know, She claims that uh, or tells me that she's in contact, uh, has pretty good contact all the time with these. So that would be an interesting trip. Did, did she elaborate a little bit more on, on what was transpiring with her her experience or encounters? Uh, just something about, you know, the, they walk around her where she's camped. She usually goes alone, which i got to give her props. I mean, that's pretty pretty good. I mean, out there in the Clackamas <laughs> area, it's pretty dark. <laughs> so well, we, yeah, we know this. Going alone. We know yeah, that we area know well. That, we? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's <laughs> dark. <laughs> Yeah, it's but, dark uh, and it's, yeah, so, it can be foreboding, but uh, I don't know. You know, the the props thing by going alone, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I do some of it. I know you do, but, you know, um, things can happen when you I go out alone. And, and Yeah. I mean, but, with uh, the sidearm, especially in active areas, it's dicey. Come on, we got to admit right. that. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know? well, you're, 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 uh, you know, I just got off the phone with a friend, uh, a friend that was telling me, and he's, he's uh, had his own experiences, and uh, he will be a future guest on the show, by the way. But he, he's had his own experiences, and he was telling me that some of his, uh, and he's not, he doesn't work with the police department, but he has friends involved with the. Uh, the police department and whatnot, and they were giving him a hard time about it. And he said, "Hey, you know, there there is something to this. You guys need to look at it a little bit closer." And um, um, you know, they were jabbing him, giving him a hard time, but uh, he he wanted them to look at it a little bit closer, and they did a little bit. They started actually doing a little bit. Or we're talking about um, uh, some of his buddies that are are not in areas where there would be Sasquatch reports, and and they don't do a whole lot of camping. In fact, some of these guys have never some of these police department guys have never spent a night in a tent and so they really have no precedence to talk about something they have nothing to, they haven't researched the subject they haven't spent any time in the woods um and they don't know anybody that's had an encounter so they're kind of jabbing him and uh yeah so i i, I find that i i find that funny um and yet um uh, here we are uh, kind of living and breathing it, uh, doing the research and going out and, and, and possibly getting some sort of report or some sort of encounters or uh, at least evidence that uh, may, may uh, shed light on, on, you know, on something out there that uh, we're not aware of or it's not known to science. Right, right, right. Um, you know, my personal opinion, I think we have enough, the whole thing is, is that, I think that there's enough evidence collected electronically with hair, with casts. I'm shocked that science isn't really going, there might be something going on here. We need to really start looking at this. Um, I do not understand the bias. I've been looking at this for, for a few months now, trying to, under, trying to understand, given the field that I'm in and everything I do, um, with my job as a science guy myself, uh, a professional, is I do I have to do stuff without bias, um, and it just it, I just can't comprehend why there's a built-in bias. I mean, you've got thousands of reports of of uh, people, including police officers that we both know, you know, mm-hmm. like Greg. You know, upstanding guy, Vietnam vet, you know, 30 years on the force, still still there, you know. And, um, you know, good, reputable people, good eyewitnesses, excellent, excellent uh, descriptions of this of this animal. Or observers, if you want to call it that. And great observations, you know. We could draw pictures of this thing all day long, you know, of, uh, you know, what it looks like and stuff, its height, its build, the whole nine. There's variances um, from place to place of, of what they look like, you know, um, maybe distant cousins or whatever. I have no idea. The point being, science should really start taking a hard hard look at this, honestly. Yeah. Well, let me, Larry, let me ask you a question, uh, and I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but do you? how do you feel when somebody approaches you not just with skepticism, but with um, they make it out to be a joke or or not a serious endeavor. I mean, how do you approach that? I mean, what are your feelings on that? Do you get do you get uh, excuse me, but but hurt about it? Do you you get do you feel like they've done you wrong or, or how do you handle that? 
Well, easy when you move from being a believer to a knower that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt they exist, that they're living, breathing, they're living and breathing, especially when you have a point, couple point blank range uh, encounters. Um, and I do get that a lot, even from family or, yeah. or friends. And the thing is, it doesn't bother me. I know what I saw. Mm-hmm. And when you stick to your guns and you, you look the person in their eyes, they back down. Because when you, they weren't it's there. not, you know, I'm, they weren't there for one thing, but, uh, you know, when you explain, especially given the details that I can give of what these things look like, you know, right down to the colors of their eyes, uh, their massive build, their abdomen, their, their, their abs, their hair, their skin color. The shape of the forehead, uh, the differences of the colors of hair. The one I saw that one day, it had a white spot in the back of its neck, you know, um, like a gray hair or a silver back, if you will. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, most of the people, they, they respect the police. You know, they they just kind of like back off after a while. In, in my experience, it comes down to a few things here. And... You know, one being that a lot of these people that are naysayers or skeptics have, well, for, they've never had an encounter for one, and and, and I, I get it because I think that encounters and sightings and whatnot are rare. And two, I think that when people do encounter something, see something, hear something, they don't know what they're looking at or hearing, and so they'll they'll pass it off as a known thing or not. And so it, it's it, it, it's a, it's kind of a vicious circle, uh, quite honestly, uh, because they just don't know, and they're not in the element. They're not in. They're actually not out uh, in nature in general. But you know, exactly. it, it's yeah. I mean, and, and, and you really have to put yourself in these situations. I mean, most sightings come from you know people out in these elements, not from researchers. They come from hunters, fishermen, hikers. Uh, people driving, I mean, that's where most of the sightings come from, are people driving across the road and they see something, whether it's a logging road or a regular road, and they see something, but they're out there kind of in, in these areas and they see something, and it blows their mind, and they don't know where to where to put that. They just have no idea where well, to put that, and it's a shame. Right. Well, Shane, here's the deal about this. People from all walks of life have seen these. Just yesterday I was being interviewed by uh, a... Uh, a guy that goes around teaching about um, um, trying to get the right words here, so bear with me because he's uh, creation in the in the Bible, uh, basically um, about uh, an, uh, animals that were myth that are that are true, you know God's creation, if you will. So mm-hmm. I watched an interview with, with the pastor that him and his wife were out just went out for a Sunday drive. And almost hit one as it went across the road. He was talking about it. And he was like, here's a pastor. Now, there's a reptile, man. Just like the other people I know that are reptile, like Greg and others. You know, it's, yeah. um, you know, all walks of life have seen this creature. Yeah, it all all, yeah. So, all walks of life. And the thing for me is really, it's really cut and dry. It's really cut and dry. Uh, now, I know Sasquatch exists. What it is, I, I don't know. But I, well, here's the thing for me. It's really cut and dry. It's either 
everybody's lying or everybody's misidentifying or <laughs> people are seeing something that is out there and such as myself and the thing is even if and this is not my coin saying it's it's said over time even if one track even if one encounter one sighting is real then there's something to it now all these people from all walks of life uh, both scientific walks of life uh, layman walks of life hunters everything if one sighting one trackway one piece of hair is legit and there's thousands of this sort of stuff mm -hmm. exactly and it's legit and it's real and it is real and and unfortunately yep. Um, unfortunately, it gets looked at because of, uh, well, social media in this day and age, and, and because we haven't proven it yet. People go, well, well how, why haven't we proven it? You know, listen to John Benernagel, uh, who's, you know, a wildlife biologist out of Vancouver Island, uh, one of my heroes, one of the guys I look up to. He says it perfectly in his books and in his uh, seminars and whatnot. You know, he can't get why his peers, his, you know, can't look at this more scientifically, can't even take a look at it. Um, because they get you know, too caught up. Not. Yeah, they get too caught up in the misnomers and all the lies and stuff out there. And there's a lot of them. Don't get me wrong. That's why I don't even watch YouTube anymore because YouTube is a joke. Uh, and a lot of these other things, these TV shows, they're they're silly. You know, not that there's not some tidbits of truth in there, but it's too hard to discern. I get away from all that. I don't even pay attention anymore to. You, you'll never see me post something on YouTube. I, I post tidbits did on my show. Think, yeah. Did you ever stop to think about this? With all the YouTubers out there, uh, you know, the puppet man, the whole nine, right? And all the hoaxers out there. It's like, why? I, can, I can't ever comprehend why a hoaxer would go out and hoax for one thing. Uh, it's it's almost, well, it's totally counterproductive. You know, well, they're, I think they're just looking for the, their moment in fame. Uh, as you know, me, I'm pretty low-key. You know, our stuff isn't out for public consumption. Um, it's gathering a big old pile somewhere, and then it's going to be getting peer-reviewed somewhere else. It's going down the line, and then maybe it might be all public. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's other groups and individuals that have realized that um, – Sharing stuff or posting stuff or whatnot, it's it's kind of uh, it's not it's going to do them disjustice. It's not going to do them any good. It's better to uh, build up their portfolio, build up their evidence, and uh, for that day of discovery or whatever uh, they're geared up for, then they share it. Um, and, and I think there's there's a, a lot of legitimacy to that. Uh, you know, it, nowadays everybody's in for the shock and awe, uh, the instant gratification, and unfortunately. Um, you can jump on a lot of podcasts. You can jump on uh, social media. You can jump on YouTube. You can jump on, heck, the news nowadays and be uh, either uh, shocked and awed or you come away laughing. And then you're left with the whole juggle of what a joke. What a joke this whole subject has become. Um, and um, all one has to really do is really solidly look at the the evidence, look at the anecdotal stories, the encounters, look at what uh, has been going on throughout history and the reports uh, from Native Americans um, and whatnot, and look at the individuals involved. Look at each individual involved. What have they got to gain? What have they got to lose? And you're left with there's something to this, you know. And I'm just saying this from somebody, you know. I'm I'm trying to. 
I know Sasquatch exists, but for those uh, disbelievers or people that have not had an encounter, hey, look at it a little more seriously. Look at it. Get past all this stuff. Actually, get off uh, your tube. You know, maybe get off this, uh, you know, uh, radio station. Get on the woods and and, uh, look at um, uh, nature in general. Why could Sasquatch exist? Well, I'll tell you why. (laughs) And we have discussed this during the show, so I'm not going to repeat myself. But... Uh, there's a lot of reasons why Sasquatch exists, in my opinion. Uh, Larry, Larry, we're almost out of time. I'll give you the last word here, buddy. Well, just for all the folks here, we're not chasing unicorns. And I think that's a – just kind of chew on that one for a while. Uh, Yeah. You know, they're they're out there. Uh, I found, I think, for your listeners, I think – this is my best advice. Don't go look for them. Find a place where you suspect they are and chill. Listen. Look. Smell. Observe all the animals in the area. They'll be your guide to what's going on. Jane can attest to this. When things go dead silent, things start happening. Yeah, Well said, Larry. Well said. And, Larry, I, I really appreciate you joining me, and I'm looking forward to you. Uh, heading out back to the coast, uh, one of my favorite areas on this planet, uh, to do research and just to be in. And, of course, hanging out with you and, and the gang. Uh, what a pleasure. So, uh, Larry, thank you so much for uh, joining me on Monstrex Radio. Hey, no problem. Anytime you need me, I'll be there. Just give me a call. I know you will, man, and I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. All right. Thanks, brother. Well, guys I, uh, and, and folks, girls, I hope you enjoyed this episode of uh, Monster X Radio. Uh, I know I did. Larry's um, uh, a good bud of mine and uh, has had some extraordinary encounters, but he's also, you know, um, really trying to get out in the field and, and do what he's good at. And he's found his niche, you know, like many of us that get involved in this research have. Um, you know, I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I have, and we'll uh, we'll be doing another show down the road here next week. And you guys all have a great week. Stay safe out there. Squatch on. Try yourself some Sasquatch coffee.